Hey guys, you can now support this show and make your life 50% better by going to patreon.com forward slash the system is down and signing up for the Downers Club, where you're going to get access to a plethora of wild, crazy, and often offensive bonus audio and video episodes of the show on a weekly basis. For more information, just go to patreon.com forward slash the system is down. The following is a Goulash Media production. Goulashmedia.net. Welcome to the system is down. What's up, Downers? Welcome back to the least comfortable show on the web. You know what it is. You know the name. It's The System is Down. My name is Dan Smuts. If you're new here, welcome to the show. Go find the person who invited you, give them a big kiss on the mouth and a slap on the rear from me because I appreciate them inviting you and I appreciate you being here. And if you're one of the many people who tune into the show every single Monday morning for your weekly dose of discomfort, welcome back. Always a pleasure to have you. Uh, this is the place where we talk about the things like conspiracies, politics, and religion, the things that your family is already praying you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table because Uncle Steve always gets pissed off when, when you bring up these controversial subjects. And today's episode is no exception. In fact, it has already sparked a little bit of controversy on the Twitters. Uh, it's my conversation with Bill Schneblin. Uh, Bill's story is quite a grand one. Bill claims to have been involved in everything from Catholicism to Freemasonry to Mormonism to Satanism to witchcraft uh, to vampirism and etc., etc., and uh, became a born-again Christian after all that. So we're going to get into that here in just a moment, but before we do, i got to let you guys know about the Downers Club. Uh, briefly, uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the system is down and sign up for as little as a cup of coffee a month. A month. That's $5 a month. And you can get uh, a giant backlog of our bonus audio and video content and new bonus audio and video content every single week of multiple episodes. Um, so go check that out. It's what helps keep the show going, helps keep the show getting bigger and better every single week. Patreon.com forward slash the system is down. Also got to give a shout out, of course, to our lovely sponsors, the uh, 29 Toes Podcast. The 29 Toes Podcast will likely not address the vast majority of what we're going to talk about on today's episode, or most of what we talk about on the show, um, this sh- the the system is down. Is kind of is like my version of bar talk. It's what I the things that I chat about when I have a couple drinks, and it c- can sometimes piss people off because they don't want to get into theological stuff or political stuff or conspiratorial stuff. But so the Twenty Nine Toes podcast is kind of the opposite. It's it's bar talk. But for the normal person, <laughs> the things that most people talk about when they've had a couple drinks, things like uh, movies, video games, uh, things that are going on in their life, um, just chill conversation, free form, whatever happens, happens. It's a great show. It's a lot of fun. It's funny. Chill, guys. Uh, go check them out at tw- the 29 Toes podcast, which I believe they have 29toes.com set up now. So go find them wherever podcasts are sold or by going to 29 Toes. All right, let's get into my great conversation with Bill Schneblin on uh, his story, everything under the sun. We we cover a lot in this one. So without further ado, let's get weird. My guest today is biblical scholar, counselor, author, natural health professional, and beyond fascinating individual, Dr. William Schneblin. Am I pronouncing that right, Will? We just say Sneblin, but you're Sneblin? doing better right. than most people do. <laughs> All right. And do you prefer to go by uh, William, Bill, or what? 
Bill is fine. All right. Well, uh, Bill, I've uh, I've I stumbled across some of your videos recently on YouTube and uh, some of the things you're talking about. Uh, I've heard you speak on everything from Freemasonry to Mormonism to the Illuminati to Satanism, vampires, werewolves, UFOs, on and on and on. Uh, so, I, I mean, I'm not even completely sure where to start or where to go with this, but I, I want to get into as much as possible. Uh, I always like to start with uh, everyone's upbringing first, whether it plays a role in where they've landed in their life or not. But um, so what was kind of your, your upbringing as a child? Well, I was raised Catholic, devout okay. Catholic family that back in, you know, the fifties, cause, um, before Vatican II, uh, some of your listeners probably know what that means. So it was the old fashioned Catholic church. I was an older boy, all of that. And, uh, you know, basically I was exposed inadvertently at a very early, well, not a real early age, but you know, 10 or 11 years old to, dark occult power mm -hmm. and it was from uh basically halloween that's why i'm so you know kind of on a holy crusade if you will against people celebrating halloween and we can go into that if you want in more detail but uh from that point on it's like something touched me and defiled me and drew me deeper into the occult and, uh, you know, I'm a very smart guy, and I, I did a lot of reading. I got involved with – and mind you, there was no internet back then. I mean, this is right. all just books. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I got involved with studying UFOs, with looking at, the, you know, kind of the more respectable parts of the paranormal. Right. You know, haunted houses, parapsychology, you know, Duke University's work with ESP, all of this kind of stuff, you know, and this is all uh, before I was even 15 years old, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I just got more and more intrigued by it. But in the back of my mind, I wanted to be a priest. That okay. was my, my destiny. You know, I felt this divine, you know, calling whatever, you know, and so I went to a minor seminary college after high school and there I was exposed to a theologian slash priest. He was a PhD or something of that order in theology. And he told me that if you wanted to be a follower of Christ, and, you know, especially if you wanted to be in the clergy, that you had to do what, what Christ did. And he told me, and of course, again, you know, this is back in the day when if a priest said something, it was like you know, coming down from Mount Sinai, you know, right. yeah. and, you know, he told me that, that Yahushua, Jesus, had uh, gone to Egypt and to the middle, pardon me, to the Far East, to like India and Tibet to study with occult masters. And that's how he, and of course now, yeah, this is all, this is all out there as a trope. Sure. You know, in, in the new age movement, you know, and there's books about it and everything in the lost years of Jesus. But, you know, back then this is like just totally off the wall information. And I was like 18 or 19 years old. And I just, and he said, basically, if you want to be a priest and do the things that, you know, Jesus did, you need to do what he did and study the occult, mm -hmm. which, you know, looking back sounds absolutely bizarre, but <laughs> that's yeah, what I, he said. I've personally, I mean, even today, I've never heard that personally. I've never heard. Oh, really? Yeah. The, yeah. Stairs. It's, yeah. it's, it, 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 you just don't move in the right circles. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway. Not yet. We'll get there. <laughs> anyhow. Um, so, 
long story short, I started reading about more about occult things. And of course, I'd already been primed for it by what happened when I was a young person with Halloween and then reading, you know, because if, if you, you know, the way this stuff works is, you, you know, you kind of get into it and it draws you further in and further in. And so basically, I, uh, by the time I was like, I think a sophomore in college, I was studying witchcraft because I'd found a book by uh, Robert Graves called King Jesus. And I don't know if you know who Robert Graves was, but he was a very esteemed kind of anthropologist slash poet slash whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyhow, he claimed that the you know, Jesus had run kind of a coven of witches. He didn't use that precise term, but that, that you know, because he had 12 followers, you know, it takes 13 to make a coven traditionally in witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of made sense. And, you know, Mary Madeline was his high priestess and all the mm-hmm. apostles had their wives as their high, as their priestesses. And, and so anyway, I decided to become a witch. So I wrote, the King of the Witches, who was over in England, because I found this book, King of the Witches, which is a biography of this fellow who's long dead now, Alex Sanders, but he was a very influential, one of the two big influential people in terms of popularizing Wicca, white mm-hmm. witchcraft in the 60s and 70s. And that's where we are now. We're about 1968. And they gave me the, uh, the his wife, uh, Sanders' wife, Maxine, wrote back and gave me the address of a place to go, which was about, you know, three hours away. And I went and got initiated as a witch. And eventually I went uh, all the way to Boston and became a, uh, a high priest and, you know, was out there spreading the gospel. I left there for reasons, you know, stay celibate. And plus, even, even I'll tell you something, even then, and this is like the late 60s, early 70s, the place was crawling with eight people. And it, it just, yeah, I didn't even know what that was. This is how different things were. I mean, you know, I was raised in a small town in the middle of the Midwest. And, you know, there was no actually even running around the seminary that were like, you know, I look back, including a priest or two hitting on me and flirting with me. And I was sorry, sorry to whole, interrupt you there. You know, um, we're getting a really but, bad yeah. connection here and I'm, I'm losing you quite a bit. Well, of course, as soon as you stop talking, it starts working just fine. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you want to mind going back a, a little ways, uh, and, Pick it up where you left. Well, I, I don't. I mean, I was just basically saying that you know I, I was, you know, I left partially because I didn't want to deal with celibacy, mm-hmm. but also I didn't want to deal with all these homosexual people because you know it was something totally alien to me. Mm-hmm. And so I went on. I became a music teacher for a couple of years and and was spreading witchcraft all over the Northeast Iowa and later on moved to Milwaukee. And one of the things I did that was kind of pivotal is I went down to Arkansas for a summer, 1973, to study under the Grand Master Druid of North America. And this guy was was very high up, obviously, in the cult and in the occult. 
And he was also a 33rd degree Mason, and he was also a Mormon bishop. And he's the one that told me that basically all these things were linked together. That, you know, that if uh, that there were secrets in Mason, he would help me in my occult path. And that there were even secrets in the Mormon church that would help me on my occult path. Uh, and Luciferian mysteries, to use the word that, that he used. And so, you know, that was always in the back of my mind. And we went to Milwaukee and, you know, started teaching witchcraft on a very large scale. I mean, we had like 90 people show up for our first class, you know, and this is like 1974, I would gather. And anyway, so we, like I personally initiated 175 women into witchcraft because it's done, most witch groups, they do it male to female, you know, or female to male as the case might be. So there we were, you know, doing all this stuff. And, you know, and I got involved with masonry and I got involved with um, the old Roman Catholic Church because I had been raised Catholic and I still wanted to be a priest. So I ended up getting ordained a priest in the old Roman Catholic Church, which allows priests to be married. Mm-hmm. And I, I went on and, and eventually, now here's the bizarre thing. I ended up joining the Church of Satan. And, you know, people ask, well, how could you do all of this stuff at the same time? Well, it wasn't hard. It really wasn't. I was sort of an occult overachiever. And, uh, and it's <laughs> not extra hard. Credit there. <laughs> yeah, it's not hard to join the Church of Satan. You just basically send them a little money and they send you a card and poof, you're a Satanist. <laughs> you know, and it may be different now, but that's what it was like back then. Again, this is in the mid-70s. Sure. And so going along here, um, I got involved in deeper and because again, this stuff draws you in. It's kind of like, I say to people, it's kind of like Wicca and white witchcraft and the occult is sort of like gateway drugs and it draws you in, but then you want more power. You want more of a kick. You want more of a thrill. Uh, and it gradually pulls you in unless you're, you know, pulled out by Christ it gradually pulls you in deeper and deeper. And I was finally at the point that I got involved. I mean, the church of Satan wasn't dark enough for me. You know, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't evil enough for me. All right. <laughs> and I mean, I know that that sounds bizarre, but that's sure. where I was at. And I ended mm-hmm. up getting into a group called the brotherhood. By is, dark enough. Do you mean like it, it, you just, you gained as much power as you felt like you could in that area and you wanted to take it e- even further if you could? Yes, pretty much. And, you know, like I was really into Aleister Crowley, who I, you probably heard of him, yeah. and the Thelema thing, which was his kind of faith, if you want to call it that. And, you know, it just seemed like, you know, I was going in that direction. I got into with a group called the Brotherhood in Chicago, sold my soul to the devil, um, and basically was made a priest in the Satanic Brotherhood. And at that point, you know, I was about as deep and dark as I could get. And and I was involved with drinking blood with vampires and all this kind of creepy stuff, which as you've said, all this stuff is, you know, I I talk about this in many Mm -hmm. different videos. Now now real quick, sorry to interrupt, but uh, you said sold your soul to the devil. I know a lot of people use that, that expression. Um, What what exactly do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, they're, they're, I mean, it's become a, kind of a cultural expression, but mm-hmm. literally what it means, and, and I mean, it, it isn't new, it's been around for centuries. The idea is that you basically make a pact with the evil one mm-hmm. and you say, okay, I'm going to serve you for seven years. 
Uh, this is the way it was done. And I, I signed my name in my own blood in this big black book. And for seven years, I would serve him and make as many disciples for him as I could. And in return, he would give me all the power, all the wealth, all the sex, whatever I wanted. You know, mm -hmm. I would basically have like, you know, a very great life if you cared for those sort of evil things, you know. Sure. Yeah. And then at the end of that seven years, he would get to take my soul and kill me and take me to hell. Now, most people would hear that, but that doesn't sound like a very good deal. <laughs> but you see, I was deceived. I thought that, you know, hell was going to be one giant party, sure. like an orgy, you know, because we were told that heaven was for losers, mm -hmm. that heaven was like for sheep, and we were like the wolves. Sure. We preyed on the sheep. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, there's a certain weird truth to that. But um, what happened was, is, you know, or what they told me is, is that heaven would be this boring place where you sat around on a cloud and twanged on a harp forever and ever, right. whereas hell would be like orgies and drugs and, you know, wild parties and whatnot. So, you know, at the time, it sounded really great, you know, mm -hmm. but of course, that's a lie. But anyway... So I signed that thing, uh, the pact, and then I went out and I started to, to make disciples and get other people to sign their souls to the death. And I'm ashamed to say now that I, I did. I, I got, I think, six or seven different individuals to sell their souls to the devil. And, um, and, and of course, I got involved with the vampirism and all of that. And I, I was, you know, I was afraid that I was losing control of the bloodlust that was within me. And at this dark point in my life, I got a, uh, I, every year I was sending a check to the Church of Satan, you know, for dues and to get Anton LaVey's newsletter, the Colovan Hoof, it was called back then. Sure. And so um, one year, I, it was, let me see, it would have been 1979, 1980, I send off the check. And when it came back from the bank, some lady from the bank out there in San Francisco, where the uh, where the Church of Satan was at that time, had written on the check, "I'll be praying for you in the name of Jesus." <laughs> and of course, I just sort of, you know, because at that time I was so deceived, I thought that Jesus was the son of Satan, and okay. that he would have been basically serving his father, the devil, and trying to set the world free from the evil. God of the Bible, quote unquote, which again, how do people believe this stuff? Well, <laughs> if you have enough demons in you, you'll believe just about anything. Sure. And I, you know, I had a lot of evil spirits in me by that time. So anyway, uh, so I just forgot about the check and went along my way. But literally within a day or two, I, it was like I got hit with a spiritual Mack truck. Hmm. I mean, I lost all my occult power. I was as sick as a dog and I lost my job. I mean, it was like my whole life just was shattered because mm -hmm. this woman was praying for me. And, you know, I didn't know what to do because here I thought, okay, I, I've sold my soul to the devil. All this great stuff's supposed to happen to me. And here I am. My life is like circling the drain. Mm -hmm. And so I went up up in the attic of where the house we were at. We had, I had this temple where I built – or not built, but I everything was black. I painted the whole attic black a big magic circle painted on the floor, statues of Baphomet and all this evil stuff. And I 
knelt before the altar and I asked Lucifer for a sign. I said, what's going on here? You know, you made all these promises to me and now my life is just awful. And so the next day I got a call and again, all of this is long before the internet. And these two teenage Satanist girls wanted to come up from Chicago and meet me because I was sort of a, a minor gauge celebrity in the scene, mm -hmm. so to speak. Yeah. And they came up and um, they brought me these two Christian comic books out of the blue, you know, and I, you know, you look back at it, what the heck, you know, and they said, well, we, somebody gave us these and they're so stupid and Neanderthal, that was their word. They said they were sure. Neanderthal that, you know, we thought you'd like them. And of <laughs> course I just kind of glanced at them and, you know, one was called angel of light then it was called Spellbound, and they were from Chick Publications, which is, you know, a, you know, a, a Christian publishing house out in California. Yeah. And anyway, time, I just, I forgot about them, and, and, you know, and I didn't realize that was the sign, because in the back of those comic books, it tells you how to be born again. Hmm. So the next day, we got a knock on the door, those Mormon missionaries. <laughs> and this guy, I told you about the Grandmaster Druid, six years earlier, had told me that if I ever got in deep spiritual trouble, which I felt that I was at this point, I should join the Mormon Church. Because the Mormon Church was started by witches, for witches, just for this kind of a deal. Hmm. And, you know, a lot of people would say, what the heck? Where did that come yeah. from? But it's actually <laughs> historically accurate if you look at the if you look at the history, which we can get into that if you want. But anyway, so I joined the Mormon Church and I put aside all of my dope and all of my orgies and everything and tried to be a good Mormon. But you see, here's the thing I thought. And again, I believe this to be true, that the Mormon Church was a bunch of white witches. Not in the racial sense, but in the ethical sure. sense. And so I thought it was okay to keep on being a white witch, not, not a Satanist anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was going along and I went through the temple, you know, out in Salt Lake, which is a big deal. I mean, uh, again, you know, uh, for people that may not know much about the Mormon church, you, you can't go to the temple like, like most people go to church. You, you have to go through kind of a spiritual security clearance and be deemed worthy by your bishop and your stake president before you're given this card. And then you can go to the temple and, and get all these super duper spiritual blessings. So I, and the funny thing is this, this Druid guy had told me years ago that the Mormon temple, especially if I went to the one in Salt Lake would be the ultimate Luciferian experience. And it was, it really was because if you look at that Mormon temple and when in a couple of our um, videos that I've done over the years, uh, we have documented with photos and everything that there's inverted pentagrams. There's all these weird arcane symbols all over the Salt Lake Temple. No mm -hmm. crosses, no Christian symbolism at all. There's Masonic handshakes. There's all-seeing eyes. There's, you know, the Big Dipper on the back tower of the temple. And mm -hmm. dozens, literally dozens of inverted pentagrams over every window of the place. And that's just scratching the surface. And I, as I'm sure a lot of people know, that's a satanic symbol. If, it's, if the pentagram is inverted with one side, one point pointed down, then that, that is the symbol of the Church of Satan. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So anyway, I thought I was in this great situation, you know, that uh, I was in this place that was very respectable because, you know, everybody knows Mormons are nice people and, and they are for by and large, they're very nice people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, I, I got a job in retail, you know, just being like a salesperson in a retail store, you know, I was trying to put my life back together and I became, I was called to be an elders quorum president, which is kind of like, um, right under the Bishop in terms of a local, they're called wards, Mormon congregations locally are called wards. And so I was doing all this stuff. And as it happened, for the first time in my life, even though I had a master's degree in theology from a Catholic seminary, I never read the Bible. I barely <laughs> cracked the Bible. They yeah. made me read Kierkegaard. They made me read Aquinas and Sartre and all these people, but never the Bible. And yeah. so, you know, I was actually reading, because the Mormons used the King James Bible among their other weird scriptures. And so I was actually reading the, I actually read through the entire Bible for the first time in my life. And I was struck by things in there that didn't make sense. And uh, to bring this autobiographical thing kind of to a close, <laughs> um, I was reading one day in um, Matthew chapter 11 where it says, you know, come unto me, all you that are laden and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, of course, Jesus speaking, take mm -hmm. my yoke upon me and learn of, upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, I was sitting there, and what, what people need to know about the Mormon church is that basically um, – you work for if you're a really devout gung ho Mormon, you work forty hours a week for yourself if you have a full time job, and then yeah. you week forty hours a week for the Mormon Church, okay. and that's what I was doing. I was exhausted, <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah. you know, I was out uh, home teaching and doing all these things and whatnot, and I'd collapse in bed and I'd get up the next morning and you know, go to work and. So I don't, well, I, I kind of said to the Lord, you know, quote unquote, I mean, if this is easy, I'd hate to see hard. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I heard this voice for the first time in my life, the voice of the spirit say, go to Matthew 23. Yeah. So I went, and I didn't even know, I didn't know the Bible enough to know what Matthew 23 even was. Sure. So I went to Matthew 23 and my eyes fell upon verse two, I think it was, or maybe verse three. But anyhow, the point is, he says the Pharisees bind heavy burdens on people and grievous to be born, and they will not even lift a finger to help them. Mm. And I thought that's kind of like what this church is that I'm in. And, you know, so that kind of is a crack in my Mormon armor, so to speak. Yeah. And I went along and moved back to Dubuque. Uh, for personal reasons from Milwaukee, which is where I've been living for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got a thing in the mail, uh, these advertiser newspaper things that most cities have, and they had an ad advert in there for a prophecy seminar. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go to that because I belong to a church that has a living prophet, and I thought I could steal some sheep. Mm. <laughs> and so I went to this, you know, this this thing, and for the first time in my life, I was confronted with a guy that knew the Bible. He was an evangelist. You know, I didn't know it at the time. It was actually the Seventh-day Adventist church. Mm -hmm. 
And he just, no matter what I asked him, he had an answer, just bam, bam, bam. And finally, I asked the guy, because this is the thing that Mormons will always throw at um, Protestants. You know, they'll say, well, where do you get the authority to do what you're doing? Where do you get the authority to baptize people yeah. so they can be saved? Well, he said he didn't want to get into that because he knew that wasn't my issue. My issue was that I was lost. And so he said, where do you get the idea you have to be baptized to be saved? It says in Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, now shalt be saved. Mm -hmm. And that just, that, you know, that went through my magic Mormon underwear like a silver bullet. <laughs> you know, Mormons wear magic underwear. Yep. yep. And anyhow, um, I went home that night and I was just trembling in fear. And I thought, could it really be that easy? Could it really be that easy? So I... I fasted and I prayed for a week the way Mormons are supposed to when they're confronted with a, a, a deep spiritual dilemma. And finally, I remembered those comic books, which were in a box in the back of my closet. I dragged them out and I, because I remember in the back, there was a thing about how to get born again. And I thought, okay, I've tried every other, you know, Yahweh forsaken thing in the world. I might as well try this. Yeah. And so I knelt at, my, at the foot of my bed and prayed the prayer that was in the back. This was in 1984. Prayed the prayer that was in the back of the comic book, and I got born again. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had to go through a lot of deliverance and um, got plugged in with a church at the time. I ended up not going to the Seventh-day Adventist church because to me, they were just a little too much like the Mormons. They had a few ideas that were a little bit odd. I think sure. they're good people again, but I just wasn't comfortable with their, there was this, I'll tell you, there was this guy there who taught Sabbath school and all he'd do is harangue about cheese. Okay. That was his whole thing was cheese. I mean, the whole world could go to hell in a handbasket. He didn't care. He said, don't eat cheese, you know, and it just seemed kind okay. of out of balance. You know? so, yeah. Anyway. That's the important stuff. <laughs> and then I got called into the ministry and uh, went out and worked with Ed Decker and Saints Alive in Jesus, which was in, to a degree is a very influential ministry of Mormons. And then started with one accord, our own ministry in 1992. And here we are. <laughs> So, all right, <laughs> here we are. Wow, that that's uh, definitely a lot to take in, and uh, we, we got to definitely break some of this down. Uh, let's let's jump back a little bit to, um, well, back to the occult stuff. You said that you were gaining powers and everything. Uh, mm -hmm. What like what was some of the stuff that you experienced from that? Like, what were some of these powers that you were seeking, and what did you what what did you gain from that? Well, I mean, the you know, you got to realize a lot of this is very subjective. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, say, for example, I would give, I was a psychic. I would give trance readings to people and reveal secret things to them. Yeah, I mean, you've seen this, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to a psychic, but, you know, you've sure. seen it on TV. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of a thing. And um, so, you know, that was one thing. I mean, mm -hmm. I, would, I would do things like, you know, tell the future for somebody. Um, I would, we would do, we would, we would have these, as you see, witches have these meetings, uh, our particular, well, I'm sorry. Oh, you're fine. Um, anyway, um, where was I? So oh yeah, we did, they like our particular kind of Wicca because there's different traditions within Wicca. We'd meet on the full moon and the dark moon, you know, twice a month. 
And we would do rituals for healing. We would do rituals for love. I mean, this time I was a white witch, so we wouldn't do anything nasty. But mm -hmm. we were like, we would get people healed. We would get people, because, you know, the, the thing people didn't understand is the devil will throw you a bone every mm -hmm. now and then. He will let something happen. Because, again, he, a lot of diseases are caused by him. So, you know, there was that. At, at, upon occasion, things would manifest in the sense like, material objects would appear out of thin air, mm. um, stuff like that. And I remember one time, one of these people, uh, I was, I got this lady to sell her soul to the devil. Mm -hmm. We were up in this same black temple I was mentioning earlier. And, and, you know, she was kneeling before me and she signed her name in the book and all that. And then this, I heard this sound, this like metal sound and then and this coin dropped out of thin air and landed at her feet. And it was a coin with a satanic sigil, a magical um, emblem on it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right out of thin air. So, you know, you'd see these things every now and then. And, and of course, you know, I would see things in the spiritual realm. We'd go out. We were like, long before there was a Ghostbusters movie, we were going mm -hmm. around and getting rid of haunted ghosts and haunted houses. Mm -hmm. uh, clearing haunted houses, things like that. Um, I mean, my, my book, Lucifer Throne, is full of supernatural experiences uh, mm -hmm. that I personally experienced, uh, both as a young person and later on in the occult. Um, so, yeah, the, the, those are, you know, the kind of, and all of these things are counterfeits sure. of the real gifts of the Holy Spirit that, that, believers uh you know can possess because that's what the devil does he's a copycat mm -hmm. so there are some people that believe that the occult isn't real uh that it's all just a bunch of con artists and there are con artists there are fake mediums uh there are fake you know whatever you want to call them psychics and whatnot sure but mm -hmm. it, it doesn't mean there isn't the real thing because there is because the bible is pretty clear about that Sure. So, I, I mean, for you personally, do you think that I'm, there's a, you talked about the Mormon church, Freemasons, and uh, even people in the occult and stuff like that. And there's, there's people who get into the lower levels of these things. Do you think that, um, I, I mean, is there just a certain level that you get to where it gets out of hand, gets out of control? Or, uh, I, I mean, uh, well, for one, I, a couple episodes ago, I had an occultist witch on, uh, and he was just he was very nice and decent human. He was talking about his experience with, uh, with witchcraft and everything and just breaking that down. Um, I mean, what, what's your take on that sort of thing? Well, yeah, I, I am, what people need to understand is that, you know, there, I, I tell people there's two kinds of witches in the world. There are witches that are ignorant and I don't mean that unkindly, but they don't really know what they're doing. Sure. And the, they're, they're playing around with power and they don't know where the source is. And then there's witches that are lying. With, mm -hmm. And I say that with all due respect. But like, for example, when I was uh, a witch high priest in Milwaukee, there was a Christian preacher that came to town whose name was Mike Warnke. If you ever heard of the fellow or not, he's now, you know, kind of, he fell into disrepute for reasons that aren't germane to this discussion. Sure. And anyway, we went to the meeting to challenge him because we, we, we basically sent a, a telegram 
to his hotel where he was staying, because this is a huge meeting, it was in like the big convention center there at Milwaukee at the time, I forget the name of it, and, and said, if you say witches worship the devil, we're going to sue you. So we were there, and we actually had black robes on. And it was so funny, they ended up seating us behind where the, the deaf people were sitting, the person doing sign language. You know? <laughs> and I thought that was, in retrospect, that was kind of, you know, appropriate, because we were sure. very spiritually deaf. But, and at the time, three or four, we were standing there threatening this guy that if he says you worship the devil, we're going to sue you. Three or four of us at that time had membership cards in our wallet from the church of Satan. <laughs> so we would say to our lower level people, Oh no, we don't worship the devil. We're just this happy little nature religion that we go out in the forest and gather herbs and dance in the moonlight and tra la la la, you know, sure. and that's what everybody <laughs> starts out believing. Mm -hmm. But if you, you know, and I mean, I know there are witches that are going to dispute this and that's fine, you know, but the experience of me and many, many other people that have come out of the occult will say that the longer you stay in this, the darker it gets. Yeah. And, you know, but no, I think probably with any of these groups, like I'm, I'm very, the first one to say that out of a hundred Masons or a hundred Mormons, 99 of them are clueless. Sure. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way because most people, they've got lives. I mean, especially if you're a Mormon, you're busy, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and you don't have time to drill down into all of this historical stuff. The mm -hmm. only reason I had the time way back in 1984 is that I'd moved from Milwaukee to Dubuque. I was unemployed at the time. You know, my dad was sending me money to help out with the rent and whatnot. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I had time on my hands to, to study this stuff and to study the scriptures. But, you know, so I guess that's my response. I think most witches probably don't understand the darkness. Mm -hmm. They certainly know they're in the occult. Although I tell people there are witches that aren't magicians. Because those are two different things. You can be a witch and just be a worshiper of these pagan deities, you know, the, the goddess and the horned god or whatever their deities might be. Mm -hmm. Or, and both, you can be a magician and think you can manipulate the forces of nature through spells and incantations and the force of your own mind. Mm -hmm. gotcha. So I would say that, but I think the longer people stay in this, the darker it has to get. Because that's the nature of evil. Because yeah. all of this is evil. It just... You know, like uh, a colleague of mine, Joanna Michelson, decades ago wrote this wonderful book called The Beautiful Side of Evil. Because mm -hmm. that's what it is. Witchcraft is the beautiful side of evil. She had a different journey before getting born again. She was a, a psychic being trained to be a psychic healer. Uh, you know, back back in that day, and I don't know if they're even still doing this stuff, there were people who could like literally with their hands open up people's abdomens and remove cancer from them just without any mm. anesthesia or anything it was really bizarre and mm -hmm. it's all done with the occult with with demonic power but it looks good because right. you're healing people but see Sounds the good. devil <laughs> would be delighted to heal somebody's body to corrupt their soul mm. because he knows the body eventually of all of us is going to die and then if you believe in all this occult stuff you're not going to heaven you're going to the other place 
Mm-hmm. And that might sound harsh or judgmental, but that's what the scriptures say, and I stick with what they say. And you sure. see, here's the thing. You know, the Bible says witchcraft is rebellion, and it's a sin, and you don't want to be doing it. And if you do, there are grave spiritual consequences for it. So this guy might have been a nice guy, and I'm sure he probably was. But he's either deceived about what he's involved with or else he's being, let's just say, not totally honest with you. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I mean, would you say the same for we, we didn't touch too deeply on uh, the Freemasonry stuff? I mean, uh, obviously, I know several Freemasons who are good, decent people, too. Oh, um, yeah. What, dig into that just a little bit. On, yeah. Again, I would say that? that 99 out of 100 Masons are great mm-hmm. guys. They don't know about this stuff. but. I know when I was in it, I had this one friend of mine who um, he was only a, he'd never gotten any higher than the Blue Lodge because some people believe, now the Blue Lodge, I should say, is the first three degrees. And many Masons don't ever go any higher than that. But beyond that, the Blue Lodge, it, it can fork in two directions in American Masonry. One is the Orc Rite, which is, you know, like to the 10th degree excuse me, and the other one is the Scottish Rite, which is 32 degrees. And this guy was only third degree, but he had studied all of the, because you, I'll tell you, you go like to the Scottish Rite Cathedral in Milwaukee, which is where I was doing all this stuff, on Van Buren Street, and they have every occult book imaginable in their library. Mm-hmm. They have, you know, they have, you know, Manly P. Hall, I have Alistair Crowley, at least they did, you know, 30 years ago. I don't know what sure. they have now, but, you know, all of this, all of these creepy writers, because Crowley was a high-level Mason, Manly P. Hall was the most honored 20th century Mason in America. Mm-hmm. And he is a very well-known occult philosopher. I mean, he headed up a group called the Philosophical Research Society. He died in the 90s, but the guy wrote all kinds of occult books. I mean, hundreds of them. The guy was brilliant and prolific and, you know, he promoted the occult and he was a Mason and they're proud of him. So, you know, but again, that's the rarity. I think 99 out of a hundred of them are just good old boys that want to, you know, get out away from the wife for a night every week and, and, you know, go through some weird rituals and, and yeah, they do good work. You know, they they uh, they have charitable, different Masonic bodies have different charities. You know, we all know about the Shriner Hospitals, for example. But, you know, that's all kind of a front, what's mm-hmm. really going on. Because, you know, in my book, Masonry Beyond the Light, I talk about the fact that there is this hierarchy. And at the top of the hierarchy is Lucifer. That's why the symbol of Masonry is the, the thing that's on the back of our dollar bill, the back of the, um, what do you call it, the uh, the great seal of the United States, the pyramid, you know, with the right. all-seeing eye on top of it. I'm sure you know, everybody knows what that is. But, you know, and that's an Illuminati occult symbol. How did it get back on the back of our, our currency? Well, because, <laughs> you know, Franklin Roosevelt, who's the guy that put it there, was a 33rd-degree mason. Mm-hmm. And his, I forget the name of the fellow that was actually in charge of, the, of that project, but he, you know, he put it there. And in the same way, you know, like Benjamin Franklin, 
who originally Benjamin Franklin, you know, wanted the Phoenix to be the symbol of the United States, but it kind of got morphed into an Eagle. Sure. So, you know, there's all these different things and you can, you as with any of this stuff, you can drill down and find as much weirdness as you possibly want. But no, I agree with you. Most Masons are nice guys, but sure. here's the point I want to make about it. They may be nice guys, but they're still, they're living in a, they're living in a spiritual equivalent of next door to the Fukushima reactor. Okay. <laughs> in other words, they are getting radiated with darkness. Sure. Every time they walk into that lodge, this is true of the Mormons, it's true of the witches, it's true of the Masons, or any other group you care to name, including the Catholics. Mm. You know, um, they walk into their whatever it is, temple, church, whatever you call it, and they are being exposed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether they're at church or somewhere else, to this dark energy. Because they have submitted, like when all of these different groups – Mormons, Masons, whatever, Catholics, all of them, you submit to someone. You say, okay, I swear allegiance, if you will, to, you know, the Masonic, um, my Grand Lodge and the Worshipful Master of the Lodge. And think of that, Worshipful Master. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't sound like it's a, you know, because what do you have? You have a master and you have a slave. Right. There's a reason for that nomenclature. And in the same way with Mormons or, or with the Catholic Church, you swear allegiance to the Pope, you know. And even if you go, if even if you wander off like thousands and thousands of Catholics do, they just sort of wander away from the church, that is still hanging over them like a cloud of evil. Mm -hmm. Because the Pope is evil. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many, and we see that all of this is being exposed now. All of this pedophilia, all of this creepy, you know, literal cannibalism. There are Catholic priests and bishops that are literally eating children. And explain. You know, <laughs> pardon? I said explain. <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty much well documented. Okay. I mean, there there are, I mean, you know, there are like they just recently, I think it was in Ireland, they uncovered uh, an orphanage run by nuns mm -hmm. where there were literally four or five hundred skeletons of babies. Wow. Underneath, you know, there were hundreds of years old. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I mean, and I'm not, that's not an isolated thing. I mean, you will, you, especially in countries, not so much in America, although we're getting plenty of the pedophilia here in the States, of right. course, but like in Ireland, the Catholic Church's power is almost absolute. And there are other countries, like, say, for example, you know, the Philippines, in Latin America, where basically the Catholic Church is is the dominant church. You know, it may not be the official state church, but it's still a very powerful spiritual force. And there's all kinds of these things going on. I mean, I, almost every day, I on my desk, I receive reports of of evil things being done to children, including cannibalism, by mm -hmm. the by the Catholic hierarchy. Again, not the typical Catholic. Most Catholics, again, are wonderful people. Sure. Yeah. Even a lot of priests are wonderful people, but they're all, again, laboring under this spiritual darkness, which I tell people, if you're in one of these groups, it's kind of like walking up a down escalator because the Catholics, the Mormons, the Masons, the witches, all these different groups are going down. 
spiritually. They're, they're taking you down into the infernal depths. And if you are a really good person, and again, I don't deny that all these groups have lots of good people in them, including witches, you know, you can walk as hard as you can to keep from going down, but you're fighting against a kind of spiritual gravity that's pulling you down. And eventually you're going to get worn out because you, you can't do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. Now, as far as uh, Freemasonry goes, like what level did you get to and what was your experience with that and what, what happened there? Um, I went to the Blue Lodge, and three, that's three degrees. And then I went because everybody was telling me, oh, well, you like the they, – they, at that time, my cover was that I was, uh, t- I was attending a, a, an, an Episcopal church. And, and so, oh, you'll like the York Rite because that's the Christian branch of Masonry. And I use quotes with that. Yeah. Um, so I went through that, and at the pinnacle of that is what's called the Knights Templar. And uh, we could talk about that because that's about as creepy as it Well, not there's creepier stuff, but it, it's pretty darn creepy. Sure. And then I went and I, be, I got, I started going through the lodge as an officer. I got up to becoming a junior warden, which is like two people down from the worshipful master in the hierarchy of local lodge. What do you call it? Officers. Then mm-hmm. I went to, excuse me. I went to the shrine and that's a whole nother level of creepiness. And then I went through the Scottish Rite. But in the meantime, in between, no, because that's, that's what you can do, basically. Oh, I was also in the Order of the Eastern Star as an associate patron, which is their ladies group, you know. And again, the symbol of the Order of the Eastern Star is an yep. inverted pentagram. Right. Now, is that just an accident? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. So anyway... But in the meantime, with all this other stuff, I got involved with the because of my involvement with uh, the Brotherhood of Satan and a, a group called the Monastery of the Seven Rays and some other groups. I got involved with the Rite of Memphis Mitzrium, which is a, a branch of Masonry from Europe. And I got up to the 90th degree in that organization. Now, that's not American Masonry. Sure. I don't talk about it as much. I document it in my book. Lucifer dethroned, but I mean, I, I, because if you say to a Mason, well, I'm 90th degree, they'll go, well, you're a bogus, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they don't, they don't read their own books. See, this is the problem with all of these people. The, the Mormons don't read their own books. The Masons don't read their own books. Just like, unfortunately, most Christians don't read the Bible that much. Right. Yeah. They just go to church every Sunday or whatever and have it kind of spoon-fed to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, bless their hearts, you know, but you need to drill down into these things. And, and like, uh, if you look in the Mason, the Masonic books, like people like Mackey, Albert Mackey, Albert Pike, Manly P. Hall, um, all sorts of these different, these are giants within mm-hmm. 19th and 20th century Masonry. Nobody can dispute that. And, and you read their stuff like Albert Pike said Lucifer is the god of masonry. It's right there in black and white. And Manly P. Hall, who is, again, a more modern mason, he died like in the early 90s, I think. He said in a book, which is called The Lost Keys of Freemasonry, anybody can look this up. He said that when the master mason 
becomes the warrior on the block, he will come to understand that the seething energies of Lucifer are his to command. And this guy's a 33rd degree Mason. Mm. And he's also, as I said, one of the most prominent 20th century occultists. So, you know, most of these people, like I said, they're either ignorant or they're lying. Sure. Hey, Dan Smots here. I'm taking a second to interrupt myself talking to talk about myself because, you know, I don't get paid a penny for the hours and hours that I put into creating this show for you guys in your greedy little ears. And I've got a family to feed. To make that happen, I run my own media business called Goulash Media. If you have a need in anything from video production to graphic design to audio production and beyond, you can get it all for a painfully fair price at Goulash Media. In video, I do weddings, music videos, commercials, pageants, plays, etc., etc., etc. For design, I do photo editing, album art, logos, branding, business cards, merchandise, you name it. For audio, I do engineering, production, editing, jingles, and, well, podcasts. So if you've got a media need of any kind, or if you'd just like to give a little something back and help keep my children fed, check out all the endless options at my website, goulashmedia.net. That's goulash, G-O-U-L-A-S-H, media.net, where we cater to the little guy with the big vision. (sighs) Okay. So I forgot what your original question was, but... (laughs) That's all right. I, I mean, there's so much. There, there's so many different directions. I want to go here. Every time you you answer one of my questions, I come up with five more things that I, I want to jump into. Um, so we, we can kind of jump around a little bit. That it's totally fine. Uh, sure. Um, another question that I had. Um, you talk about this uh, this seven year contract and your pact with the devil and all that. Um, now, uh, what what was offered to you to convince you to do this and then? you know, die and everything. Was it just the, the offer of this big orgy party in hell or what? No, no. I, I kind of said that, but you may have glossed over, but I sure basically huge occult power. Sure. All the, all of the money I could ever want, which by the way, was a lie. It never happened. All Mm -hmm. the women, all of the drugs, whatever I, and I never, for whatever reason, I never got into booze, but I was into drugs. You know, I was kind of a a child of the sixties and seventies, you know, but, uh, yeah, that was the promise that I would have mm-hmm. all this tremendous, that I would literally become a God right? because the guy that was my superior in the brotherhood was an obsissimus. Do you know that term or not? I do not know. Okay. Well, that's the level, the highest level of attainment in the order of the occult. There's 10 levels, you know, okay. and obsissimus basically is Latin. It means the very self of the very self. Mm-hmm. And it means basically you're a God, mm-hmm. you're a God on the earth, a little G God, and you can sure. do whatever you want. You know, if you want to drop fire upon a city and destroy it, you can do it because that's what God can do. Sure. <laughs> you know, And <laughs> I was nuts enough to believe that. Mm-hmm. And so that was the promise, infinite power. Right. And, you know, because I had been led to believe, and I still think this part is true, that that at the higher levels of the Satanic Brotherhood is what is generally known as the evil Illuminati. And that they basically run the world behind the scenes. And so, you know, uh, I believe that I would be at the center of that nexus of evil power. And that's right. very seductive because you got to realize at the time, you know what I was doing for a living? Hmm. I was working in a newspaper driving around the, in the middle of the night, 
throwing <laughs> um, bundles of newspapers in those little <laughs> tin boxes yeah. on the street corner, from, you know. I mean, paper I boy know, they, to God. <laughs> they probably don't even have those anymore, but I mean, sure. back then they did, you know. And uh, be so quite the I, promotion. <laughs> I had, you know, I wanted more wells. I wanted sure. more power. I wanted, you know, and of course I was, you know, I was totally lost. So obviously I wanted more sex and, you know, I was yeah. a red blooded American male, you know, did, and did it was, you witness, it was just, sorry, the, sorry. Uh, did you witness like anybody else who had these powers? Did you witness people who could, you know, do these things and obtain these things? Did that convince you or was it just well, all talk? Let me do, well, I think a lot of it was just talk. Sure. But, you know, in fact, I, let me tell you a story that is not autobiographical. But sure. you've heard of Houdini, I'm sure. Yeah. And he would, part of what he did in his later life is he made it his job to debunk fake spiritualists. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, um, he basically went because he at this time he was in Europe he was in England doing a tour or something and and he heard about Crowley Alistair Crowley and he challenged Alistair Crowley to do something demonstrate magical power in something that that he Houdini could not duplicate with an illusion right okay Mm -hmm. what did Crowley do he said I do not sully myself with vulgar displays of power, which <laughs> yeah. is a good way of saying, buck, 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 you know, <laughs> anyway. But I did see, you know, things happen. I did, you know, I did, let's face isn't, it. Isn't vulgar displays of power kind of like the whole selling point of, <laughs> of what he was? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, it, maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading this wrong, but it seems no, like that I mean, was the idea. If, if you, and I don't know if you read my book, Lucifer Dethroned. I have not, no. But I would I would have some I over the years I was into the occult, I had some pretty amazing experiences personally. Um and I also saw entities that I now look back and believe were fallen angels that had immense power, that had, you know, but but again, they weren't human beings. And they didn't claim to be. At the time they claimed to be vampires, but I think they were fallen angels. That's a whole other conversation. But so, but I mean, I had experiences where I was taken out of my body and taken out into the middle of the solar system. And I wasn't on drugs at the time. You know, <laughs> I wasn't sure. on acid or anything like that. <laughs> and, you know, that that's what in the, the book is called the Cathedral of Pain chapter. Okay. And um, basically, I'll just tell it. I mean, I was, um, I was at home. With when my parents, my wife wasn't with me at the time. Just I was visiting my folks, and she had to work, and they were like 90 miles away from where we lived. And I, so I was asleep, and I got pulled out of my body in the middle of the night. And I thought, oh, this is an astral projection type deal. Mm-hmm. But I was taken away from planet Earth, and I landed on this moon that was orbiting Saturn. And I can I can still see this as vividly as. You know, I'd say, well, this is a dream. Well, yeah. not entirely. And in this, I was taken into this temple, which looked totally weird, by my occult mentor. And in the temple, it was like black, you know, jagged, evil-looking thing. And the walls were entirely like giant aquariums. 
Okay. And floating in them were hundreds of naked dead bodies of people, children, men, women, dismembered horribly. Okay. And the center was this altar, and I had to lay down on this altar. And they tied me to this altar, and these people in black, I mean, it sounds just like a horror movie, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. and I, these people came on black robes, they started chanting for some reason in French, which I do know a little French because my mom was a French major. Mm-hmm. And it was all these blasphemous things reviling the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and praising Lucifer. And as they were doing this, it was like they were raising this current of power. And this entity appeared on this throne in the distant part of this huge temple. This is like a cathedral. It was an enormous structure. And this being came forward, and he looked like a cross between the goat of Mendes you know, this Baphomet thing with the head right. of a goat and the body of a woman and the, yeah. the bottom part of a male goat. And uh, and then a gorgeous-looking, beautiful male figure with blonde hair, like scintillating back and forth. And it came – and he came up to me. This It was huge, this being. It was probably at least 20 feet tall. Mm-hmm. And he comes out of these huge talons, and he stuck one of his talons into my forehead. It was like a red-hot poker going into my forehead. And I felt my brain like being filled with live steam. Like mm. my brain was being parboiled. And he said to me, you now belong to me, body, soul, and spirit forever. And then I was thrust out of that experience, fell back to earth in like a ball of fire and landed in the backyard of my parents' house. <laughs> now, what's weird is I was physically in my parents' backyard with a burnt circle around me. Really? (laughs) And I had this huge hole in my forehead. And you can still see the scar faintly. Hmm. So what do you make of it? Was this around the time of you signing the contract? Yes, it was right after it. Okay. So it was like the 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 head honcho or representative, because I'm not egotistical to think that was – enough to think that was Satan himself. I think it was sure. just one of his, you know, flunkies, sure. you know, but uh, come to ratify the pact from their side. Gotcha. And, you know, I can still remember that as vividly as I'm talking to you right now, because it was such an extraordinary experience. Huh. And I know that when I got saved, that was wiped out. That contract was canceled by the blood of, of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. How, how far, like how many years into this contract were you when you got, became born again? That's the interesting thing because that – the contract was originally done in 78. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got into the Mormon church in 80, but that thing was still hanging over me. Mm-hmm. And I was in the Mormon church for four years, and then I got saved, 1984. Mm-hmm. So literally one year before my contract with the devil would have come due, I got born again and snatched away from that. Mm. So hallelujah. Sure, Otherwise, yeah. I might not be here talking to you today. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, so when when they're laying out the groundwork for this contract and they're saying, you know, you got to go through this and then you'll die and you'll go to hell and it'll be a big orgy party. Um, 
do you I, what is the process for that death and that like the transition period like are you sacrificed at that point or I don't really did know they, they didn't out? they didn't explore that but sure you know the funny thing is I kind of got the idea that it was going to it was going to be something cuz you know you read in the occult literature you know and I can't really recall if the second Star Wars movie had come out by then or not. I don't know what year it was. You know, the, mm -hmm. the uh, what was it? Empire Strikes Back. But, you know, yep. the, like, you know, maybe it was even the third one where Yoda just sort of, you know, like disappears. Yeah. When he dies, his body just sort of vaporizes. Right. You kind of, you know, because, you, you know, that, you know, George Lucas didn't come up with that. Mm. You see all of these stories from the far east like you know because you know a lot of the stuff in those movies the whole concept of of yoda is kind of like a zen master you mm -hmm. know or whatever and you know um the idea of stories that supposedly these monks that were so enlightened that one day they they just go into their um their little cell in the monastery or their lamasery or whatever it was yeah. in india or tibet and and their robe would be there and their fingernails would be there and their whatever hair they might have had would be there and mm -hmm. they'd be gone. Yeah. Because they just sort of, you know, vape. That's kind of what we were led to believe would happen. Sure. But who knows? Yeah. Because again, the devil's a liar. Mm -hmm. So when you got out of this contract, uh, when you were redeemed of it, did you have, uh, did you, I mean, I'm sure you experienced some issues with that. Did, People come knocking on your door and say, "Hey, it's time to time to pay the piper," or what? <laughs> Not precisely, but I did have several. Because what we did is okay. When I got born again, I wrote because I had moved, as I may have mentioned, from Milwaukee. You know, you know, 150 miles, whatever it was, uh, west into Iowa, and I sent letters to because again, no internet at this time. Letters to all of my witch friends, telling them my testimony. Telling them about Jesus and sure. you know, so on and so on. And most of them just ignored. Uh, a few people sent back rude replies, mm -hmm. and a couple of people threatened to kill me. One weird lady said she was going to come to uh, Dubuque with her emerald dagger and plunge into my heart and cut the heart out of my body. So, All right. <laughs> yeah, you know, so much for goody two-shoes witches. <laughs> but anyway, um, but of course, you know, when you're under the protection of the almighty king of the universe, mm -hmm. you know, these people have very limited ability to, to do things. Mm -hmm. So, you know. And down through the years, we've had many attempts on our lives. I've been shot at. I've been run off the road. I've been poisoned, you know, all kinds of things, you know, yeah. uh, not so much anymore because, you know, the more, first of all, we're learning more about how to do spiritual warfare, how to do spiritual self-defense against curses, against malignant attacks, spells of ligature, voodoo, things of that nature. Um, the Holy Spirit is a very powerful teacher and a very powerful tactician. So anyway, but way back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, I was nearly killed several times. Mm. So, you know, but it wasn't 
you know, it wasn't like something deliberate, like what you're saying in terms of, okay, your time's up. We got to kill you. Sure. It was just, okay, you're a traitor because, okay, the Mormon church, I don't know if you know this, they have a doctrine called blood atonement, hmm. which basically says there's five sins for which there is no redemption in this life whatsoever. Okay. Even if you're a Mormon there, um, let's see, homosexuality, adultery, um, then uh, marrying a black person, they got rid of that one because they changed their theology on that. Yeah, theology changes over time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell people when Mormon God changes his mind as often as he changes his underwear. <laughs> anyway, and then if you apostatize from the church. Hmm. I was an apostate. Right. Okay. So the only way I could ever hope of not going into the outer darkness upon my death was if I was killed and my blood was spilled out upon the ground. That's Mormon doctrine. And that's why to this day in Utah, the death penalty, you can choose to be fire, have a firing squad hmm. because it, <laughs> let's say if you're, you know, if you're death by injection or death by hanging or lethal and whatever, you know, you don't shed blood. Right. And I don't know if you ever heard of the book, the executioner's song. It was written by Norman Mailer. Many you probably weren't even born when it was written, but uh, it was written by Norman Mailer, and it was the account of this guy, who um, I can't think of the. I think it was Gary Gilmore was his name, and he was like a, a Mormon, but he was not a very good Mormon. Uh, he was what they call a Jack Mormon, which means a, a backslidden Mormon, and he robbed a gas station and killed a guy. And, uh, and he caught him, and he was sentenced, uh, and he asked for the death penalty. And he asked for a firing squad, and he was, he was shot by firing squad mm. because as a Mormon, he knew, according to his doctrine, that that was the only way he wouldn't go to hell. Mm. So what is their, I mean, what is their reasoning for that and having the blood spilled out on the earth? Like, it's in a revelation. Understand. Joseph Smith, the founding dude of the Mormon church, right. <laughs> um, basically he has this book called Doctrine and Covenants. Mm -hmm. and, and not only he, but a few of the subsequent prophets uh, have canonized, if you will, revelations that are supposedly, sure. you know, thus saith the Lord, you know, from the Mormon God. Right. And uh, in there, he says that, that if there are certain sins that you must, uh, maybe it was Brigham Young, I think it was Joseph Smith or Brigham Young, but one of those two earliest uh, prophets of the church said that, the, that, that their blood must be shed and the smoke of its incense rise to heaven in order for them to get into heaven for Thank certain you. sins. So just a th just a thing, <laughs> just another just another weird just, Mormon is thing, a thing. <laughs> like their magic underwear. Sure, <laughs> yeah. And uh, <clears throat> like I said, we're gonna jump around a little bit, and I know you don't have too much more time, but um, I want, we gotta. My listeners would kill me if we did not touch on the vampire stuff a little bit more. So, <laughs> do you want to get into that a little bit? And what was your experience with uh, vampirism? Well, um, basically, it was. I was told. I had gotten to a certain level, two levels before Godhood, this Ipsissimus deal. I was I was three levels down and I was I was transitioning across what they call the abyss mm -hmm. 
into the next level uh, in this occult hierarchy. And I was told he got two choices. You can either be a lycanthrope or a vampire. And of course, a lycanthrope is like a, a shapeshifter, a werewolf or a were something or other. And I know you're looking at that. Sounds like, like you're right. setting us up for another episode here. <laughs> <laughs> but any, this, Stay you know, tuned next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and no, and I, I knew a couple of guys that were werewolves. And they said it was very, very painful to mm -hmm. make that change. Okay. And the things you, I won't even get into the things you would have to do to achieve that status, if you want to call it that. Sure. So I decided that vampires were sexier. You know, I love the idea of being dark and mysterious and walking around in a cave. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and I actually did own a cave, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> that preceded my vampire thing. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I started being given these various herbs that would help transition me. And, um, and again, I'm not going to reveal what those were, but basically over a period of several months, I was preparing myself. I was doing magical rituals, um, to various clefotic deities, which are beings from the dark side. And finally, uh, one night, this being showed up in my chapel. I had a, like a, this is a different home than the one I was speaking about before. We, everywhere we went, we always had creepy chapels. <laughs> and he literally walked through the wall. He was this tall, pale being, hmm. as real as you or I. And he cut open his chest and had me drink from his blood. And I now okay. believe that was a fallen angel. But back then, I had been led to believe that he was my vampire master, quote unquote, or sire. Sure. And when that happened, then I had I had part of my preparation. I I had to build a coffin, a specially constructed coffin. Mm -hmm. And I go into much greater. We have a we have a video series. It's nine DVDs. Okay. It's called Interview of the Next Vampire. Hmm. And I go into greater depth there than I have time to here. But, you sure. know, the idea was is that I, I stayed in this coffin and incubated after doing this thing with the blood. And then when I emerged, I was no longer a human being. Mm -hmm. I was somewhere in a twilight world, pardon the pun, considering the <laughs> vampire books, Sure. between being human and being a vampire. And I, I could not stand the sunlight. Uh, I could not stand garlic. And I was living only on Catholic communion and human blood. That's the only thing I could eat or drink. I couldn't even drink water. Mm. And I existed like that for nearly a year. Okay. And it was pretty miserable. Yeah. And the trouble, and I also see I had, I had eight or nine women in the coven that we, the covens that we had, that were more than willing to let me bite their neck and drink their blood. And I would, I would do different ones every night. So not any one individual got, you know, drained too much. Right. And, uh, but it, it wasn't enough, you know, and there, there, there's actually, I, I cite this in the, I, I, my newest book, well, newest, it's now, you know, eight years old, um, sure. Romancing Death. 
I talk about this, that there, there's a whole field of psychology of, of people who have addiction to blood and how addictive it is to drink blood. That's why the Bible says, don't drink blood. It, hmm. said, it was said to Noah, it was said to Moses, and it was also ruled upon by the early church in the book of Acts chapter 15. Don't drink blood because blood, the blood is the life. That phrase, which I'm sure you've heard, is right out of the book of Leviticus. Yeah. So I was addicted to this stuff. And I, was, I needed more and more of it, just like a heroin addict needs more and more heroin. There's this phenomenon, you know, where, where you, well, you know what I'm talking about. And, and so I was really worried that I was going to kill somebody. Yeah. Either I'd lose control of one of these women or else, and again, I had to work third shift, you know, throwing newspapers into boxes in the middle of the night because I couldn't go out <laughs> in a regular first shift job. Yeah. So there I am. So you were a vampire paper boy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty pathetic, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, again, that shows you how pathetic the devil really is. Sure. You know. And so long story short, this woman started praying for me. Mm-hmm. And that just blew the whole vampire thing out of the water. I lost all of that, thankful, sure. before I ended up killing someone. So yeah, yeah. that's the deal on that. Gotcha. And I mean, you, you kind of said that you were somewhere between hum, human and something like, do you feel like you physically had a change when you were in the coffin? Oh or? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, obviously if I was living on nothing but human blood, I'd have sure. to have it because you could, a human being couldn't do that mm-hmm. because so, so blood, blood, if you drink a lot of blood, it coagulates in your stomach and it's just yeah. disgusting. You end up, you know, so you know, and plus, uh, my teeth would grow. Mm. Uh, I, when I was around someone and I was hungry, I could actually hear their heartbeat. I could hear, I could be like 10 feet away from someone and I could hear the pulse in their neck. Yeah. And just Mm. like, if you'll pardon the metaphor, like, you know, when a, when a man becomes sexually, excited certain things happen physically well with me that wasn't the case with me if i was around someone and i needed to eat and i i could hear their heartbeat and see you know literally sense the pulse in their neck my teeth would start to the two uh sorry the two you know fang type teeth yeah. I, I, I think they're called canine teeth yeah would grow a little and, you know, that was a real thing. I mean, other people observed it. Uh, the girls that I was, you know, <clears throat> sipping from her mm-hmm. saw it, you know. So there you go. I mean, you know, it was. a. And again, the devil can do powerful things to a human body. If you totally you've got to realize by this time in my life, I was so totally given over to evil. Sure. You know, I was I probably had more devils per cubic centimeter than an entire city. <laughs> You know, yeah. and, and I wanted them. I, I begged them to come into me. That's how yeah. deceived I was. And yet with all of that going on, the power of the cross of Christ still was able to set me free. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, there it was a real physical thing. And, and after after you were done with that, after the year of vampirism, going into like the Mormon church and all that, <laughs> I, I mean, there, there's so many questions. Uh, <laughs> was there, I mean, what was the process getting out of vampirism if you had like a physical change? Like what? Well, that's what, what happened. That like I, I, maybe I didn't express it well enough a moment ago, but for whatever reason, when this lady started praying for me, I got hit with this thing from mm-hmm. heaven. 
and it just blew the whole thing with with first of all my drug addiction and second of all with um because i was deeply into cocaine mm-hmm. profoundly and this fortunately this is right before crack became a thing you know mm-hmm. but but i was deeply into powdered you know sniffing cocaine and you know also the whole blood thing and it just like flattened it overnight literally i got mm-hmm. delivered even though i wasn't even saved yet yeah but this huh. woman praying for me because you know the holy spirit knows what you need before you know what you need and and you know i needed to get out of these things and i kind of make a joke it's like they got me into the well i didn't they didn't get me into the mormon church the devil did but you know it's kind of like a spiritual decompression chamber because mm-hmm. I was so deep down into the darkness of Satanism that if they'd have pulled me up, it would have been kind of like you hear these things of these deep sea fish. They pull them up to the surface and they blow up. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's kind of, I think, what might have happened to me. <laughs> I might have just, like, gone nuts or something. But by being in the Mormon church for four years, ultimately five, before I finally officially left it, mm-hmm. um, it was like um, – I got to kind of experience something other than this horrible darkness because Mormons are good people. Mormons try to live a Christian life, you know, and that was the first time in my adult life I tried to do that, Mm -hmm. you know, because when I was a Satanist, I'd break every one of the 10 commandments if I had a chance. But as a Mormon, I was trying to be a good person. And, you know, the trouble is, you know, without the power of the real, Holy Spirit, not the false Mormon spirit, you can't really do that. Right. That's why so, Mormon, so many Mormons, the Mormon church was kind of weaning you off of it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. It was kind of like, you know, like weaning me off it. Yeah. Sure. Gotcha. Um, now, real quick before I let you go, I got to ask, like, with all these these things that you're, you're, you're putting out there, uh, what is kind of like the Christian pushback? I mean, there's got to be some pushback. Or like, how do people at your in your local church, how do they feel about the, these things that you're talking about? Well, we don't have you, a you, local church. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I live, I live in the middle of, uh, in Illinois. I'm like two hours away from you, I think. So, yeah. so I know how Midwesterners would probably typically yeah. perceive this type well, of thing. That's why, I mean, you know, and, 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 and that's not to make fun of Christians at all because they're wonderful sure. people, but they, you know, most Christians think they live in Mr. Rogers neighborhood right. and they don't. They, the whole, this whole dark world that I've been sharing with you is very real, but they would prefer not to think of that. And that's, mm-hmm. that's okay. If that's where they're at, that's fine. But yeah, I've been attacked by Christians. There, yeah. there are Christians that have attacked me. There are, there are, you know, you know, in fact, I was attacked as early as, excuse me, uh, 1988, or me and Ed Decker were attacked by another Christian ministry, which I won't name, that for basically teaching that the God of the Mormon temple was Lucifer. Yeah. And, you know, they just went ballistic over that. Hmm. And, you know, and I think it's because, you know, as you, I'm sure you know, there's, there's theological differences among Christians. And most yeah. Christians tend to downplay the, the demonic. They tend to downplay the occult, if they even acknowledge it at all, because... Frankly, many Christians don't even believe that there's such a thing as the occult. And right. I tell them, well, then why does the Almighty keep forbidding people from doing it if there ain't no <laughs> such thing? I mean, right. you know, what's, what's the point of that? So, mm-hmm. you know, 
And I should mention, you know, you know, we do have a website where we explain what we believe, you know, with one accord.org. And we have a tremendous amount of material there for free. We have a YouTube channel, Dr. William Sneblin. Uh, we have um, all of our DVDs. I've got, you know, many books in print, you know, including Lucifer Throne, Masonry Beyond the Light, Romancing Death, and Blood on the Doorpost. Mm-hmm. All of these books are out there. I document almost everything that I've told you. I can True. prove it to the extent that it's, you know, possible to prove. True. And, you know, because I know my story is a little hard to believe. <laughs> you know, most people, this guy must be crazy. Well, yeah, I was full of demons. Right, yeah. And, you know, demons make you crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got set free of all that. And I've been serving the Almighty since really, I've been in ministry since 1986. Nice. So it's been like 30, 30 some years. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe 40. I lose track anyway. Math is not my best <laughs> subject. So anyway, the point is, uh, I guess, you know, I've spoken in hundreds of churches. I've been on hundreds of radio shows. Uh, I've been on the 700 Club. I've been on TBN. Um, but what I have to share is a little too intense for a lot of the conventional yeah. Christian media, especially nowadays. Yeah. You know, so what did you talk about on the 700 club. <laughs> I got to ask, like, what well, did they allow, what did they allow you to get into on there? <laughs> mind you, this was way back in 1990. Sure. Okay. And they, we were talking about Halloween. Yeah. Basically warning believers about how they should not be involved with, with Halloween should, especially not with their children. Be involved with Halloween. I was on with at the time with Bob Larson, who is another guy. He's still around. I don't have much in common with him anymore because he's. I think he's kind of. Well, I won't say it, but I, I mean, he seems to be kind of in it for the money. Let's just put sure. it. Sure. But anyway, you know, uh, and yeah, I was. I got to sit there with get interviewed by Pat Robertson. You know, hmm. and uh, you know, and I got. I was on a TBN talking about my book Lucifer Throne and. I can't think of the guy's name, but he was the guy that used to be, um, he was in Black Sabbath, and then he got born again. I can't think of the fellow's name. Hmm. I know it if I heard it, but it's not that important. And so, you know, I mean, I've been around the block, but on the other hand, you know, we, we don't, we, we want to just share what the Almighty has given us to share. And it's a unique message. Uh, that's partly why we have this YouTube channel. We've got over 100 videos out there, and we want people to know, number one, there's danger out there in a spiritual realm, that it's real. But we also want people to know that there are tools that Christians can use to push back against evil. We don't have to just sit there and let, you know, the kingdom of darkness roll over us like a truck. Yeah. No. Christ said, you know, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Mm-hmm. And that means we're supposed to pile through the gates of hell, not the other way around. But what right. I, I tell people, we need a more muscular form of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And we don't really have it right now. Most of Christianity is, is, and I don't mean to be negative, but it's a lot of happy talk. Yeah. You know, yeah, it is. and that's too bad because, you know, yeah, there is joy in Christ. There is happiness in Christ. But, you know, we're also called to warn a lost and dying world that they need to repent. 
Absolutely. And that, that seems like if there is a place to wrap this up, I think that that's a, that's a good place to do it. And I would love to have you back on again to dig into some of this stuff more, the werewolves, the UFOs and stuff like that. Um, if you're so willing, I, I would happily have you back anytime. But tell everybody one more time where they can find out all, all the information about you and One Accord Ministries and everything else you got going on. Yeah, sure. Again, it's uh, withoneaccord.org is our website. And we, we have lots of things people can download for free documents, PDF files, prayers. Uh, we have our YouTube channel, uh, Dr. William Sneblin. And we uh, have many books and dozens of DVDs out there if people want to buy them. And we're, we're about to try and also get on Vimeo with our material. So it, it's there. And uh, you can reach me through that website. And... Um, we just want to give all our glory to God. Absolutely. Well, Bill, it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And again, anytime, anytime you want to come on, you're more than welcome here. So thank you so much for being here, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Okay, great. Shalom. Hey, guys, thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bill as much as I did. And I did. I thought he was a, a fascinating individual, has a fascinating story, to say the least. And I don't think Bill would take offense to me saying this, but as a Christian and a conspiracist, uh, even I, you know, I find some of the things that he claims a little hard to swallow, a little bit uh, far-fetched, but it's not for me to say. Uh, I have not walked in Bill's shoes. I have not had Bill's life, and that's fine. That's not the point of the show. The point of the show isn't to say, you need to believe this and believe that, and this is this and that's that. Uh, the point of the show is to say, look at this and look at that. Decide for yourself. Use your own brain. Decide for yourself what you think is and what isn't. That's why I show all different sides to every story. And that's probably why the show has a hard time sometimes building traction in our growth. Uh, we have some ups and downs, peaks and valleys. I'm sure a lot of it's because we get new people in. They're like, oh, this guy thinks this thing about a conspiracy or religion or politics or whatever. And then they they assume that the whole show is going to be from that lens. And then I have somebody on who completely disagrees with that. Or I say, I say something that they don't like. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden I'm a shill. All of a sudden I am the enemy. But... That's, that's not the point of the show. The point of the show is to explore all avenues of thought. That's it. To share people's stories. It's up to you. I'm not going to tell you how to think. It's up to you to use your own brain and discern for yourself what you think is and isn't. That's it. So, if you have any issues with anything that was said, if you have any complaints, if you think that I'm a shill, if you think what have you, all, all, all the stuff, all the stuff that's going to be inevitably posted in the YouTube comments, you can... Post them in the YouTube comments, or you can come join the System is Down forum uh, at tsidpod.com forward slash forum. That's a place where everybody is allowed to come and have these uncomfortable conversations, dialogue, and debates, and do all, all of that in a civil manner. Um, again, tsidpod.com forward slash forum. You can also send me a direct email personally, uh, dan at tsidpod.com. I don't know why I never bring that up, but uh, I'm open to it. Shoot me an email. I'm down. Whatever. Um, also, please go like, share, and subscribe to all the things. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. You know what to do. You know what to do. If you haven't done it already, you're not going to, so I don't know why I keep saying it. Whatever. 
Um, but uh, go over to iTunes, leave, uh, leave us a nice five-star review. Let people know what they're getting when they tune into the show. Also, be sure to tune into our second weekly show, the Anti-News Live broadcast tonight at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, every Monday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at antinewslive.com. That's where Craig and I, we go through the headlines, things that are happening in the world, the news, the current events, things like that. Uh, we pick it apart in our own uh, dark, comedic, sometimes conspira- conspiratorial, twisted way. And it's a good time. It's an interactive show. You can call in. You can chat with other people who are watching. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. And you're going to as well. So tune in tonight. Antinewslive.com, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And of course, as you're going about your week this week, as you're, uh, you know, if you find yourself sitting at the bar having a deep theological conversation with somebody... You know, uh, just uh, have an uncomfortable conversation. Had talk about things like conspiracies, politics, and religion. Change the world one uncomfortable conversation at a time by being civil. That is the key. Be civil, which means not just knowing what you think and spouting it. It means listening to something that you disagree with and listening to the reasons why somebody else believes that. That's the whole point of this show, changing the world one uncomfortable conversation at a time. Join me, won't you? And also, won't you join me next Monday morning, uh, first thing, for some more uncomfortable conversations right here, same time, same uncomfortable station, the system is down, Monday morning, you know what it is. All right, if you will, if you'll have me, I'll be right back here then. Until then, question everything and stay uncomfortable. Thanks. This has been a Goulash Media production. Goulashmedia.net. This concludes our broadcast day. Click.